Welcome to On Common Ground with Dusty Keen. I'm super excited today. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this interview uh, because, A, I don't get to talk to my good buddy uh, very often, but uh, I begged and pleaded with him to come on and do this thing for me, so he agreed, and he's incredibly busy um, because of not only uh, the, the work ethic that the man has, but with just such a full life as a dad and his husband and all the other things that he has going on. So I'm grateful that he took the time to come in. I'm going to read a little bit about who we have today that I'm so super excited to have. We have Mr. David C. Cook, and David is a director. He's an editor. He is a producer. He's currently working on CBS's series SEAL Team. Uh, he has edited numerous feature films, episodic television series, and documentaries, including uh, I'm Actually D, graduated from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, North Texas Black. And um, he also um, uh, was nominated for the Hollywood Post uh, Alliance Award for his work. And his thesis film, Man and Dog, won the Student Academy Award in 1998. Uh, his credits include Chill Team Editing, Television Chill Team, uh, NCIS. He has uh, The Good Wife, Lie to Me, The X-List, Shark. His feature films include The Joyriders, uh, Cover Blend, Dying on the Edge, his documentaries, working with James Cameron. That's right, D. James Cameron on uh, The Ghost of the Abyss and uh, The Last Mysteries of the Titanic. He also has produced um, feature films, including The Foot Fist Way, <laughs> which I hope to talk about a little bit, uh, Undertow, All the Real Girls, George Washington, Doomsday Man, Hearsay, Surfacing, Reckoning, and The Surprise Party. It's quite a resume you have, Dave. When you hear that about yourself, you get a little taller. <laughs> What's that? Sorry. Say that again. When I hear that about myself. When you hear... When, yeah, when you hear that resume about yourself, do you, you feel a little taller? I mean, you're already a pretty tall guy, so I think uh, <laughs> that nah. uh, it might be hard to do. Well, how are you, man? It's good to see your face. Uh, yeah, good seeing you. I like uh, I like your digs. I like musical instruments. I need to I, I need to put some of mine up. Yeah, it's funny. You know, we were shut down for six months at Flatiron, and uh, so I made the stage like a Tonight Show set. Um, so I've got to like put a desk and everything up on, on top of the stage and lit it up uh, for, for doing this. And it's been really, really fun. Um, yeah, I haven't, been back, stuff, yeah. I haven't been back since we opened Flatiron. I haven't been back in, uh, I was supposed to come back this summer, but that got all crapped out. Uh, but I haven't been back in two, three years. Man, uh, it's been, you know, interesting for everyone. And of course, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want to talk about, like, how, you know, you and I first met, man. And, like, this, you know, when we met, it was really – I always loved the movies, but I was really young. I was, like, 11 or 12 years old, and um, I had uh, – I was working at a um, – right up the street, like, the closest thing to my house was a movie theater where I grew up. And uh, my parents actually still live there. But the uh, – one day I was there, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles had dropped – and um, they were so busy, they had no one to clean the theater. So the manager there grabbed me and said, hey, you know, kid, if you want to clean this movie, I'll let you see the movie for free. So I did. And then after I cleaned that movie theater, I was like, hey, you know, I live right down the street, man. And I love, you know, the, the movies or whatever. And she was like, well, you know, anytime that you want to come up here and clean the movies, uh, clean the theaters, you can see movies for free and you can have free popcorn and soda. So I remember some of the fondest moment, memories of, of that time in my life. I would go to the terrace. And, um, and I would clean out the movie theaters and there were like, people would drop change and stuff, you know, when they saw the movies. So fortunately, like every day, almost I could find enough change to buy like a pack of cigarettes, Texas Charlie's machine, and then like a cheeseburger combo and eat it on the roof at the terrace, man. And, uh, and I would go see movies. Like, and so I just, like lived up there. And part of that, uh, was getting to meet 
all of these people that were older than me and in high school, but worked at a movie theater. And one of those was the great Dave Cook. Man. And he was running uh, projectors up there, which was like the really cool technical job that all the other kids couldn't do and everybody was like mystified by. Like, oh, he, he does the projectors. That's a serious job. Like that's the one that's really, that was really uh, above uh, the pay grade for a lot of the people that were your same age that were working there. But uh, so many good good memories there, and uh, and I so I wanted to kind of start with that. Like we've known each other a, a really long time. Um, yeah. Well, what what's what's funny is 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 that's identical to to my story. So I you know when I lived lived in Lakeland, Florida, growing up, and and uh, my uh, best friend and I got caught sneaking into uh, Terminator um, back in what I guess eighty five. Um, and the theater manager said that he was either going to call our parents or we could clean the theater. Uh, and I'm the son of an Episcopal priest. Uh, actually, probably a lot of people in Greensboro know him, uh, uh, Father Cook, uh, formerly of uh, St. Francis Episcopal Church. Um, retired now. Uh, but the theater manager, uh, you know, put up that option. I was like, well, I'm, you're not calling my parents. Uh, so we cleaned the theater. And then he did the coolest thing. He, he said, if we couldn't afford to see a movie, uh, if we were willing to clean the theater before and the theater after, we can stay and, and watch a movie. Uh, as long as we were old enough, that was a stipulation. Um, but he never really paid attention to that. Um, so uh, yeah, every weekend we would go and we'd watch a movie and we'd clean theaters. And then during the summer, we'd see everything, pretty much everything that came out. Um, uh, and that, that was my introduction uh, I, I already had a love for movies because of Star Wars, um, uh, which a lot of people does. That's nothing unoriginal. Um, yeah, nice. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you know, I, I had the, the, the same experience, um, and uh, you know, start working when I moved to North Carolina, um, and I got a job at the Terrace uh, even before I could drive. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, got my license my freshman year in high school, so was able to start driving, and, and uh, that was my after school. I'd, I'd go over and, and watch a movie, and so I just started, I was like, well, I might as well work here, so I started working there, um, and, you know, Jane Dempsey was the, the uh, uh, manager there, and that, she's the one who did the, did the same thing for you that the other manager did for me, um, yeah, and in Florida, you know, Central Florida, so, you know, all the older kids would pick me up and put me like in a trash can and then push me down the aisle and I'd end up with, you know, popcorn buckets of dip spit all over me and, and stuff. And so when you hung out of the theater, you were you were a little shit. I hope we can touch on this. Uh, and uh, you reminded me exactly of, of who I was. That was something for sure. Yeah, no, so it, it definitely was, and, 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 you know, an instant liking to, because uh, uh, of the similar storyline, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, I, I credit, you know, working in the movies and the theater and, and for, you know, spurning my interest in, in, in filmmaking, but also particularly editing, because as a projectionist, you get to watch movies over and over and over again, you see how the stories are told, and you see it how it's told through the image. And then, you know, when you walk away from the projector, you also hear how the story is being told. Uh, and it allows you to kind of separate the two. And then, and then you realize that it's, it's, it's not 50-50. It's not, you know, the, the, the cinematography is the most important part uh, of it, or, you know, the, the sound and how that's used to manipulate the audience and tell the stories is, is as crucially important. And, 
you know, I, I credit my, myself being a good editor from, from being a, a, a projectionist. And you used to, you know, have to do it the old school way, man. Like when a thing would break or something would happen, you have to cut the film, you know, the actual, yeah. the actual film and then put it together, you know, the thing. And that, you know, I, I, um, I recently was kind of like, like just taking me back. I recently went and visited the, the old Regal that was, used to be the Regal, and then became the Dollar Theater that was out, uh, way out, uh, Gate City Boulevard. Um, and it now it's been closed and they closed down and I went there and they hadn't done anything to this place since like, had to be like 89 and they still had the old huge film pan wheels up there and like still old yeah. like trailers that would come in that you would have film to fighters. put on and yeah yeah um and so it just took me back man to, to some of those days and i got to reminisce um but you know what you were talking about you know how you got to see the different elements of how to stories are told in the movies that's one thing that i really am just so i think lucky to have a to have been able to work with you in, in some 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 ways and uh, and and be a part of, of, of things uh, with you, but also like just the collaboration of it. I don't know of anything else that that has that much collaboration uh, in telling a story. I mean, there are so many people involved in making a great movie that has it has to all come together, and everyone really has to be great at what they do. Um, no, I have to trust that. Absolutely. And, and uh, uh, you know, I got to uh, direct an episode of SEAL Team last year. Um, and that's where, where you, you, you really learn as the director, everybody, you think everybody's going to look to you. Uh, and they do. But the reality is the director also needs to look out to everybody else. And, uh, you know, we've got technical advisors that are, were, you know, tier one operators, both as SEALs and as uh, Delta Force in the writer's room on, and at every level of production, we have, uh, um, uh, you know, veterans uh, working and there's no better way to communicate and talk and find out how things are going to be. And, you know, one of the, one of the first scene, uh, one of the first things that I, I noticed in my script is I had a vehicle interdiction that I had to, to do. And our producing director, Chris Chulak had a vehicle interdiction in the very first episode. And it was like, you know, French Connection, Ronin, we had drones flying all over the place. And, and I was just like, holy crap, how am I going to top that? Um, because there was no, there's no topping Chris Chulak. Um, But then I started talking to the operators and stuff. And I was like, okay, I, you know, I, he, Chris had three days to shoot his interdiction. I had uh, half a day to shoot my vehicle interdiction. I didn't have all the resources and assets. But in talking to the SEAL team uh, members, um, in, in uh, about how they do vehicle interdictions. I also realized there was another side to it that, that we hadn't shown yet. And, and I decided to make it the cool, calm, practiced vehicle interdiction where, you know, we've rehearsed it. We know exactly what we're going to do. Um, our, you know, our, our, our number one, Bravo One, uh, basically sees the situation and makes the audible play call like a quarterback does. And we just go into precision car movements and we just do, it's quick in and out and we take the guy. Uh, so it had a, a different feel to it. It was just something else that I could bring, but that came from, from talking to the people who really do it. Um, and uh, it, it's just, you know, we're so lucky to have the veterans on our show that we do. And, and you know, my assistant, uh, my assistant is a former Marine. Um, so, it, you know, we, I, and I, I chose him. He was a new assistant for me on, on this series, and I chose him specifically because of his military background. Um, you know, so it, it helps us on every single level. 
that's another thing I, think, I don't think people think about. But when you're in the, the movie industry, when you're telling stories, or even when you're doing video production and stuff, you really learn so much about what you're doing, you know, the story that you're telling. I mean, I kind of done things with like manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, production stuff that, that I had no idea how something was made or how whatever, but you get so immersed in it when you get to do uh, the projects that, that you learn so much. I can't imagine now what your respect for, I mean, and, and it's the baby feels, man, you know, wow. Did you ever think like you'd be doing, I, I'm sure we did, you know, we believed okay. that, but like, <laughs> you know, you're working on the baby feels directing a TV show, wow. Yeah, well, it, it's actually funny because there was a, a time in my life where I was either going to make movies or I was going to go into the Navy. Um, and uh, I, I either wanted to be, a, I, I was, I'm fascinated uh, with, with the planes, uh, wanted to fly. Top Gun had a lot to do with that when I was a kid. Um, uh, so movies influenced me, you know, even when I was young. Uh, and submarines always fascinated me. But I kept being told by people I was too tall to be a pilot and I was too tall to be a submarine. So I was like, okay, well, you know, if I, I choose- something that gets the tall people, man. Sorry, I got a whole thing about that. Like, yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it wasn't, I feel bad, not really, but you know, yeah, too tall, that's us. So, so I, I, you know, I figured I, I would, I would, you know, if I went into filmmaking, I, was, I can always make uh, films about, uh, you know, people in, in planes and, and people in submarines. Uh, and then I end up working on uh, two Navy shows. I end up working on NCIS, and I end up working on, uh, you know, I spent seven seasons on NCIS uh, and then moved over to SEAL Team. So I get to, you know, play in both worlds. And we did a submarine episode in, in season two. It's just, it's still, it's in, it definitely in the top two uh, episodes of, of SEAL Team, in, in my opinion. Um, and we had the Navy, we had a Navy commander come up from San Diego, and we were sitting there, and we had, we were in, uh, it's probably a tech meeting that we were in, um, and they showed a submarine, uh, our production designer showed a submarine that we were gonna use, and I was like, uh, actually, that's, that, it can't be that submarine. So because we're using, you know, line of dialogue wise, we would need to be an Ohio class uh, uh, submarine that's been converted for, for SEALs and not a Virginia class submarine. The commander like looked at me and he's like, you know, you're submarines, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, that was kind of fun. You know, I want to speak a little bit to that submarine thing. I knew that you were going to be great in the the, the movie industry when you uh, Red October had come out and Jane gave yeah. you the poster and you took this poster. So I had all these posters that I would scavenge and grab and stuff, but they were always like ripped or like you know taped to my wall with some scotch tape and shit. And Dave comes in and he got given this 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 poster for Humphrey October, and you had it like professionally framed. It looked extremely, you know, it just looked so clean and you took so much care and concern in that, having that, that, uh, that poster uh, of the Humphrey October, which was a, you know, incredible movie about submarines. Um, and submarine, uh, Actually, so still you, yeah, I even use that movie when I'm in, in teaching at, at AFI. There's a sequence in the middle of it that, uh, uh, editorial is just one of the best sequences uh, put together. And if you read the script, it actually came from two different scenes in two different parts of the film, and they and it intercut them. And it's it's uh, when Sean Connery is is talking, uh, uh, basically giving the whole message of what the movie is, uh, and he's he's talking to, to I think Bordy, 
Um, and it, it's just, you know, the, the, the use of sound, the use of the camera angle tilting to a Dutch angle, and you're not sure if you're dealing with a crazy captain um, or, or, or not. Um, and they're intercutting between the two submarines and, you know, his dialogue's playing underneath the, you know, all, all the cuts, even to the exterior of the submarines where you see the relationship between the two submarines. And it's literally the message of the movie and how you get that message uh, uh, across. And it's just a, a, a really smartly uh, edited sequence um, that wasn't even scripted to be that way. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm thinking back to that scene, how incredible. And I'm not thinking too, like, you know, because you came from an editing track, um, I think that may prepare you better to be a director or to do anything really position-wise in, in, in film because uh, it's such a crux of everything um, position. And like, you know, you think about like Jaws, right? If he was going to go under, Spielberg was, budget-wise, shooting on the water like that, which everybody kind of told him beforehand, but if he hadn't have figured out how to edit that bottom, 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 and not even show the shark, um, like saved that movie and also made it like eerily legendary, uh, and that yeah. was all. And, you know, because of the and Ver Verna Fields was the editor on that movie, um, and they even they even shot some stuff in her pool uh, after the fact that the where Ben Gardner's head comes out of the boat, and you know when they're on when uh, Richard Gryfus' characters under the water, that was actually filmed in her pool. Um, uh, where and they were editing basically in, in the the pool house um yeah you know that that, that movie w was built in in the editing room uh and you know the, the, the shark didn't work so uh they hid the shark and it made it that much more suspenseful um i, I agree I, th I think editing because everything comes together and in, in, uh during the editorial process you know i i may not learn how to speak to actors but i learned to recognize what a good performance is um, uh, I, I may not learn what lens they, you know, know what lens to put on a camera, but I know what composition is and I know what depth of field is and, and I know how to put the shots together. Um, I may not, you know, learn uh, about, uh, per, you know, know, you know, what cloth is going to do what, you know, and what, uh, you know, production design, uh, which is, you know, a huge part of everything. Um, but you learn through telling of the story how it impacts, you know, how props impact, how, how everything impacts the overall image. So from editing, you do get a little taste of everything and, and uh, you know, might not know how to uh, write the dialogue, but I know, you know, I know editing's made me a better writer. Editing has made me a better director. Editor has, has made me a better producer. Um, so I, I agree. Uh, by the way, you mentioned Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles er, earlier. Uh, one of the actors is from Greensboro. I think it was uh, the guy who played uh, Michelangelo in, in that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, was a Grimsley really? graduate. Yeah, he was a Grimsley graduate. Um, oh, no kidding. Man. I didn't yeah. know that. Um, yeah, you know, we... I think everybody has a love. I would hope everybody has a love for movies. I know you and I certainly do. And I feel a really overwhelming uncertainty of what is going to happen to this moment. The, the thing. So in my life, whenever I needed some solitude, whenever I needed to just break away from everything, I would say a form of meditation for me in a way 
would be able to go to a dark theater a lot of times on a Monday matinee and see two or three movies. And I've done that my whole life, you know, ever since I was a kid at, at, at Paris. I still, I still used to, um, here in Greensboro, our theaters have been shut down uh, pretty much uh, since, since the beginning. And, um, and, and, and aren't open now. Um, and then I just saw the, you know, the release that said that, you know, over 500 legal theaters are shutting down um, indefinitely. And that's here in the UK. Um, Cinemark's not. So what do you think? What, I mean, do you think they're going to take them? I mean, what do you think is, is, um, is this something that is going to change the whole landscape of movies? And we already see, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all of these powerhouses that have just come out recently and grabbed the market share from, you know, everyone from HBO to these big studios. Um, yeah. What do you think? I mean, you've got your, your, you know, your, your fingers on the pulse there uh, in LA. What, what do you see happening? Well, I, I think it was already changing a little bit even before the pandemic for, for those exact reasons. Um, also, because you can buy like 85 inch, uh, you know, televisions and, and, and watch, yeah. you know, in the privacy of your own home. Uh, I, you know, I have a backyard movie theater because I, I can't not have a movie theater. Um, so I built a backyard movie theater where I have a nine foot high, 16 foot wide screen with 4K projection and 7.1 surround sound. Um, I always invite <laughs> my neighbors over just so that, you know, and, and they, they don't generally come, but they, they're aware that, you know, don't complain. Loud. I also throw, <laughs> yeah. And, and I could also throw up classic movies and then put headphones on because they were in stereo or, or mono to begin with. And so, you know, at midnight, I'll throw something up in, in, in the backyard and just watch it with headphones on. Um, so I, you know, I, I do think that, that, that it was already changing a bit. Um, but there isn't an, an equivalent to watching films with an audience. Uh, and I, I think that's what people are probably learning. I, I don't think theaters are dead. I, I, I think, I think there's going to be a mass surge back to the theaters when people feel safe enough to go back into the movie theaters, um, because of the social element of it and getting out of the house. I think people are tired of being in, in the house. Um, and right. movies have always been the, the, you know, it's cheaper than a concert. It's, 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 it's the cheapest form of entertainment to go to a movie. And, you know, I mean, when we worked in a movie theater, parents, particularly during the summers and weekends, would drop their kids off because it was easy babysitting uh, for them because they just trusted that the kids will be in the, in, in the theater watching a movie while they're running their errands and stuff. So I, I think... It's like American culture, you know? Like, you know, we, yeah. I had, like, my first date at the movie theater, you know? Like, my first uh, flight was outside of the movie. Like, you know what I mean? All these things sort of revolved around a movie theater because it was a one spot, especially when you're in this really, you know, growing pains, adolescent time of life when you, you can't go to so many places, but you can go to the movie theater and that's the social thing, you know, and you're safe and everybody's there and, you know, you can kiss your first girl in the dark theater or whatever it may be. There's a lot more to it than just the business transaction and the seats on the screen, you know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, right now, I mean, uh, drive-in movie theaters are, are, are open. Um, and I know tenants playing the drive-in movie theaters. We've gone to probably six or seven drive-in uh, movies uh, since the pandemic started here in LA. You know, we've, we've got some more options, but you know, between Greensboro and, 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 and Winston-Salem, there's a drive-in movie theater. Um, and 
you know, I, I went and saw drive-ins when I was a kid in, in, in Lakeland. My best friend's mom would take us. We, they had a conversion van and we'd get on the roof of the conversion van and we'd be watching the screen that was PG, you know, the van would be facing the screen that was PG, but we'd be on top of the van and we'd turn around and watch the rated R movies. So we saw like, you know, Emerald Forest and Porky's and <laughs> movies we weren't supposed to see. <laughs> but we couldn't hear it. Because <laughs> the, 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 the car audio was playing the screen we were supposed to be watching. Um, so I, I've, I've always... <laughs> great. Yeah, I've always loved uh, drive-in uh, movie theaters and think it's a great experience. And then Alvis Moorhead, who was the head projectionist at the Terrace Movie Theater, you know, he, yeah, he, he's got an, he has an amazing story. Um, uh, you know, he was, uh, uh, he started working in a movie theater when he was 14 years old and, and he worked in, he wasn't, you know, he's African-American, he wasn't allowed to, to be seen, so he couldn't be a ticket taker, couldn't be an usher, he couldn't work in concessions. Uh, so he started off, he would literally sit behind a screen and he would open and close the curtains um, uh, because nobody was allowed to see him because he worked in an all-white theater. And he eventually moved to the projection booth because that was another place that he couldn't be seen. Um, and so they allowed him to, to, to move into the projection booth. Um, and he projected at all-white drive-in movie theaters. Um, you know, and he's the person who, he taught me how to, to uh, tear movie projectors down and, and, and build them back up and, and uh, came in, you know, after, after Terrace, I moved to, to uh, Brassfield Movie Theater. Um, and then when I went to I North Carolina, it. yeah, when I w went to North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, I uh, started working for the Ray Regis Archives, which was the largest privately owned film collection in the United States, which was in Winston-Salem, no longer Winston-Salem, UCLA bought the, the library. Um, well, School of the Arts have, ha, has half the library, and then UCLA has the uh, other half of the library. Um, but, you know, we, we were working on really old projectors. We were restoring 70-millimeter projectors. We were restoring 35-millimeter projectors. We had a projector that we would literally take into backyards uh, to, to, you know, like the executives from R.J. Reynolds. That came off of a destroyer, World War II destroyer. It was a chain-driven projector, and, and uh, we made it our a portable projector we could take and do screenings for fundraisers for the School of the Arts and stuff, and and uh, that was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, Alvis has a great, great story. I think I don't know. I don't think he's uh, still alive. Um, I think he's not. He, he's not. He he passed away probably almost about ten years ago. Yeah, I remember. I, I used to go up even you know, years later when I would come to town to music. I would go and uh, just pop in the side door of the and go up there and talk to him. Um, but he used to spend the yards about all kinds of things his days, like running theaters at uh, running the projectors at the Carolina Theater, um, and like some of the experience there. He was just a wonderful, just beautiful human being. Man. I love it. Yeah. I know that song, no alibi. You like that song? <laughs> he just he was so cool. Um, yeah. I was so glad that I got to meet him. Uh, but these days, you know, you have, you've always been, I thought, a good writer. And um, if you were to pitch, so how would you go about it today, knowing that, you know, it's not traditional in the way that it used to be, right? I mean, music and film have both changed drastically in the past 10 years. But if you, it, it, let's say that you wanted to take a project and you wanted to make a feature. Uh, how would you, what strategy would you use to do that? Like, what, how would you do it? Like, would you pitch Netflix? Would you, like, wh where would you want to see this? You know, the well, it, and how would it, you get it done? 
It, it depends. Um, it, it's interesting because, you know, we're, we're in a little bit of a, a, a trickier time for a, a, lot, a lot of reasons. Um, COVID being a large part, part of it. Uh, so, you know, with that, right now, the more self-contained you can make the film and the smallest, the, the smallest of crew that you can have, the, 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 the better for you. Um, the, uh, you know, virtual production is, is, is going to be big. Um, and, you know, you, you've got the, the, but it's not inexpensive. That's, that's the, the, the misconception. So we were even asked on SEAL team if we can do, if, if, if we can shoot it uh, virtually. And it's like, no, uh, not, not with the budget that we have. Um, you know, and, and there were other people that were, you know, above my pay grade that were making those decisions. Um, but the reality of it is, is if, if, you, if, you, if you want to take the two virtual productions, the, the two, two models are, are basically Avatar, where it's very heavy post-production and you've got complete control over it because you've done a lot of motion capture and, and everything's basically digital. Um, or you've got uh, Mandalorian where it's heavy pre-production where they build these worlds and you go onto a virtual set where they are projecting on uh, uh, you know, LED screens. Um, you know, that LED screen void uh, volume that they created the stage is, is, is a $20 million stage. So, you know, that's the whole budget for our series. Uh, so there's, there's no, we're not doing that. Um, uh, and those are, so, but costs will come down and people will figure out how to do it inexpensively. And it's not like this isn't tried, in, you know, tried before, uh, you know, at Murder on the Orient Express, everything outside the, the train window was, was real-time projected. And, and uh, uh, if I was beginning to learn filmmaking uh, right now, I would, I, it, I would be looking at, you know, Unreal Engine and they've got great uh, uh, tutorials and, and, and classes and stuff that you can take. And, and it really, they, they, they also have a, a uh, handbook that's basically for virtual production that will teach you a lot about that. And then once you know the technology, make sure you're writing to that, what can be done in, in that world. Um, but I don't think things, you know, story-wise, stories are stories. Um, that's the most important thing. If, if you write a good story and someone will figure out how to shoot it. Um, and and that's, that's the biggest key thing. Um, you know, and, and, and expand your horizons. I mean, people used to tell you to, to write what you know. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's, it's research and learn and then write that. So find out what, you know, find the good story, write that. And, and you know, it, it'll eventually be found and, and it'll be made. You know, people will figure out how to do it. What do you think, you know, as someone that, that not only is... I think a master at editing at this point, but uh, you know you do teach as well. And so, what what do you think is something that is a foundational element or uh, something that is really crucial uh, in being a good editor? Understanding story. It, it, it's simple. It's understanding story. Um, you know, there are about ten different story structures. Understand those different story structures. Um, there are, uh, watch movies over and over and over again, watch them without sound on. So you see how the pictures go, go together, uh, and, and how the, the, the stories are being told. 
um, you know, then watch it again with just the sound on and the picture off and, and see how they're using sound to help manipulate and tell a story. Um, you know, sound's the only thing that, that can go off the screen. It also works on you subjectively. So the great thing about sound is you can really direct point of view um, through, through sound. Um, you know, it's also, when you see images on the screen, like I'm looking at you right now, I see a drum, a guitar, a, 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 a clock, a microphone, you. So I, I'm taking everything that's in, in, the, in the screen. Now you can manipulate that with lighting and you can take, at, you know, put more light on your face and take light off of the instruments. And then I'm directing, uh, you know, the, the, the focus and the point of view uh, of the story through the image. You know, sound, sound is, is like a soup in a way, because, you know, when, when you eat a soup, you're like, oh, that's a, that's a good soup. And you're not necessarily taking the, the individual parts and going, oh, I really liked the pea, or I really liked the, the chicken broth, or I really liked the, 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 the beef that was uh, in there. You know, with, with sound, you're not separate, separating it into its ingredients uh, parts. So it can, you can really manipulate the audience uh, through the use of sound. Um, so if you want to be a good editor, you want to be a good storyteller, understand picture, understand sound, understand storytelling, uh, story structure. You know, and, and you see something you like, then go back and rewatch it and figure out why you liked it. Um, you know, so if, if like there, there are stories that, that, that I lean towards. I like the hero journey. I, I like having the moral compass, um, you know, there, there are, are, I can appreciate the other stories, um, but I grew up, you know, with the fantasy films and, and going for the, the uh, escape, escapism into the films when I was younger, and, and that's what's always stuck with me. Um, I can appreciate the other stories. Uh, I think, you know, Martin Scorsese is one of the most elegant people speaking about films, and he's made some really brilliant films, and I can appreciate them. But it's not the stories that I want to tell because that's more that that is more to real life. Um, uh, whereas the you know the the you know the Star Wars uh, you know re recently like you know I, I love Stranger Things. I, I, <laughs> if yeah, I could oh have made God. if Hold I could on. have made anything in the last twenty years, it would have been Stranger Things. Um, yeah. uh, uh, so there there are, there are, there are things that you cater to. Um, you know the. I, a lot of storytelling, you know, Sopranos came out, it was groundbreaking, uh, and everybody loved it. I, I thought it was good, but I didn't love it because it was, it, it's still, it's glorifying the, the anti-hero instead of a, a, a hero, and I like the hero. And same thing with Breaking Bad. I thought Breaking Bad was great. I really thought it was brilliant uh, in the beginning because you saw where Walter White was as a person, as a character. Uh, and you understood why he got into why? where he was, right. uh, and it, it was the healthcare system that, that got him into that. <laughs> uh, and uh, but then there was a point where where he he didn't have to do it anymore, and there was that clear clear point decision where he, you know, this was now his life, and he continued in it. And and for me, that then it started to be less interesting to me. Um, at, at that point, although I think it was correct for the character and I think it was correct storytelling, it's just not that's the, the stories that I like and, and I, you know, I like the heroes. Um, so, so find what you like and, and, and find out why you like it and, 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 and then write to that.
like that. What a, a great piece of advice. So I want to come back to a question that just you had this little marinate a little bit. I'm going to ask you what a few of your favorite movies are. Um, but I know, so in the South particularly, you know, here at Greensboro, Winston for sure, where the school of the arts were, and those of you who don't know, the very first directing uh, like class at the North Carolina School of the Arts, you were a part of. No. And that, no, wasn't that the very first I, I, one? I, I was in the, the second class. Uh, the, okay. Yeah, the, the first class, uh, so John Rutan, Rotan, who went to UNCG and was also um, uh, uh, worked at the Terrace Movie Theater, uh, he was in the well, first class. So I sat in on some class with him. While I was at UNCG, I sat in with classes with John and realized, no, this is where I want, want to be. Um, so I transferred uh, to, to, so I was in the second so, class. So in that second class, that was you and Jody and Danny and Matt and David Gordon Green? Uh, close. So uh, the second class, uh, uh, myself, uh, David Green was, was, was in the second class. Uh, Danny and Jody were in the third year. Uh, they were a year behind us. Um, uh, but we all, we all crewed and worked on each other's films and, and, and stuff. So, yeah, I had three years with, with Danny and Jody and four years with David Green. I know that, you know, one of the movies I think was shot was like one of my first experiences ever working with Matt McNeil and meeting like the yeah. whole crew of people from the schoolyards, um, from Nick and all those guys. And, and, um, yeah. and, uh, and I think you produced that. Because uh, I remember you being on set for one of the shots where I couldn't drive a stick. So uh, Matt, I sit in the yeah. try to drive his Jeep. And I, there's no fucking way he's going to let me do it after like the first time. So like, you had everybody in the back of the Jeep like jumping and shaking it. <laughs> so, yeah, which was funny as shit. Um, and I think Tim Moore actually shot that, who, you know, he shot a bunch of stuff with any of those guys. Um, so everybody around here is like huge fans, of course, of East Bend and Down. And, uh, you know, the success that happened with, those, those couple of classes that came out of the North Carolina School of the Arts, which now they tout, of course, is like, you know, this is why you should come here because, yeah. um, you know, these people um, who have done so well, you know, have, have, have come out of here. Um, I, from what I hear, from the last I heard, these guys had moved from L.A. to uh, Charleston and, yes. and like sort of all kind of hang out there and are doing uh, uh, films out of there. Do you, do you see, especially with Georgia, man, Georgia's like cranking out insane amounts of content now do you yeah. think the shift has, has left LA uh for good because no. of the expense uh, issue there or it... no no actually I mean there's still more production that's done in L LA than anywhere else uh and, and it's it it's it ebbs and flows on on the east coast I mean there was a time when North Carolina was the second largest state for film and television production uh, and then you have a governor that comes in that not only gets rid of the incentives, but uh, uh, taxes uh, the, the film production. So they all move out of North Carolina. And where do they move? They move to Georgia. Um, uh, and, you know, interesting connection between the, the person who owns the governor state in, in Georgia and, and uh, McCrory. So, uh, yeah. you know. That year, that next year, they did $6 billion in film revenue. Uh, Unbelievable. You know, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot that's going on in Georgia, uh, um, and Tyler Perry is is just doing a phenomenal job down in, in Georgia. He bought an, an old military base and turned it into a, a studio. And I still don't know how he produces the, the the amount of content that he produces in the time that he does. Um, 
uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, Rough House moved from LA. So Dan, uh, David Green, uh, uh, Danny McBride, Jody Hill, um, uh, uh, moved their production company to, uh, um, uh, Charleston, South Carolina, and they've, they've done Righteous Gemstones, uh, out of, uh, uh, Charleston. Um, they did Halloween out of Charleston, but they also still shoot, they, they, they've done stuff in Charlotte and they've done stuff in Wilmington, uh, also. Um, and, and a lot of it is, is you have to follow the, where the incentives are. Um, you know, we shot in Georgia before Georgia was even big, you know, Undertow was shot in Savannah. Um, All the Real Girls was shot in Hendersonville, Asheville. Uh, George Washington was shot in, in, uh, Winston-Salem. Um, you know, and, and there are a lot of great filmmakers coming out of the School of the Arts. Jeff Nichols, uh, you know, you know, there, there are, you know, the television show Carnival Row and, and, and Pacific Rim comes out of, uh, you know, uh, School of the Arts and, and, uh, you know, there, there, there's just a, a lot of talent that's being created and, and, and not to, not to plug my alma mater and, and I, you know, I, I teach at the American Film Institute, sure. you know, rated the, you know, trades places with USC uh, as the number one film school in, in, in the uh, world. And right now AFI sits at number one. Uh, but the School of the Arts, what people don't necessarily realize is the School of the Arts, the first two years were designed after uh, USC's graduate program. The second two years were designed after AFI's graduate program. So it is a blend of the two, of the number one and number two film schools in the nation. And the only reason why they're not ranked any higher, and they're ranked number 10 in the nation, the only reason why they're not ranked any higher is because they're outside of LA and New York. Um, and that's really what affects them. But uh, the School of the Arts, the education that you get at the, the School of the Arts, uh, if, you know, my son who wants to be a lawyer, but if, if he wanted to go into filmmaking, uh, I, I would very much recommend uh, the four-year program at, at the School of the Arts as an undergraduate because I don't even feel like you need to go to a graduate program after that. Whereas most film schools and undergraduate programs, your next step would be to go to a graduate program. If even that, you know, because, you know, just like, you know, filmmaking is becoming, uh, you know, more universal, a lot more easier access to, to learning how to make movies and stuff. And the, the cost of North Carolina School of the Arts is, is by far less than AFI or USC. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, to an extent, if I was looking at the cost of some of the, the film programs, I would, you know, we made George Washington for less money than it would cost to go to two years at USC. Um, so, you know, part of it is, that, is you know, that go, go make it and learn. Yeah, and that film like is what what started the whole ball rolling, man. Uh, it seems like George Washington was the real the one that like you know blew everything up for for everybody uh, in that crew. And and you know, you produced um, a foot this way. And uh, that was an interesting story behind what happened with that, because that was a low-budget feature um, that you guys did, and that was Danny McBride and Jody. And I really see the, you know, the, the, the Kenny Powers <laughs> in that character for sure, uh, which kind of developed into the, you know, the East Coast Down thing, I think. But yeah. uh, so as far as I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, so Will Ferrell sees this film and then goes, man, I'm going to get it. I'm going to put my name on it and say Will Ferrell presents and then kind of gets it out there. And is he the one that brokers that kind of situation between a, a um, this way, which you produced into like the East Down thing? Now, so uh, 
first of all, I, I you know, you say producer, there, there are a lot of producers uh, on, on uh, films. Um, and um, so I was just one of the, 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 the people that helped produce the, the, the movie. Um, that was really uh, uh, Jody Hill's uh, uh, vision in, in, in movie. And, you know, Danny's first acting job was in All the Real Girls. Uh, and, and he's my favorite character in All the Real Girls. And I would recommend anybody who likes, you know, Danny. I, I wish Danny would do, uh, you know, more dramatic uh, stuff. He's brilliant at the comedy, but he's also really brilliant at, at dramatic roles. And, and if you watch All the Real Girls and you see his character arc, it's, it's the best arc in, in, in the whole movie. Um, in my opinion. Uh, so Foot Fist Way, uh, Jody made, uh, you know, Jody and Danny, um, uh, you know, Ben Best and, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, Jenny Chekis and, uh, were, were in, involved in, in making that movie. Uh, you know, to, uh, uh, and they shot it on Super 16 and that was a world that, that, you know, Jody grew up in. Jody was a, if I'm if I remember correctly, Jody is actually a, a Taekwondo. Uh, he's a black belt in Taekwondo, which that's true. I think he was actually on Olympic track at one point uh, with it. So that was the world that he kind of grew up in and created this character. And then Danny became the character. And you're right. You know, I mean, Eastbound and Down uh, uh, was picked up shortly after Sundance in 2006, where where we sold uh, uh, Eastbound and Down. I mean, sold uh, the Foot Fist way. Um, but that, that's, you know, I, I don't deserve a whole lot of credit for that. I mean, that, that was, that, that, that is Jody's vision and, and, and Danny's character. And, and, uh, um, you know, I would love for them to, to actually produce a, be, not a behind the scenes, but a, an extended version. Here are all the deleted scenes because there, there was a whole kind of fight club storyline with Jody's character, um, and, and it comes down to storytelling. It was, uh, you know, there were great yeah, scenes, there were funny scenes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to go to settlement for five days. I'd be kind of, Jesus, just some of the shit that comes out, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Righteous, that had to be fun. Yeah. And Righteous Gemstone is, 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 is Danny's creation. Um, and, and, you know, uh, um, there, there's some really great behind the scenes stuff on, on, on that series uh, as well. And, and Dan talking about growing up and, and, and his family that, that, you know, his mom would put on puppet shows for the church and stuff. And Danny would have to participate in that. And that's how Danny kind of learned his storytelling and, and growing up through that. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's a great group of guys because they, they, they have really great, uh, unique, visions uh unto, unto themselves and then they just collaborate so well with each other but it's really cool to see people come out of school together man, and stay together you know through all of it and, and, and it's, some, it's pretty legitimate fame and it's pretty legitimate success in the field uh and still choose to stay together and work together and be together and even remove themselves from the the you know the the, the thing that is you know living out in la and, and doing that and just be able to to have enough um uh, enough uh, you know networking throughput with what you can do to be anywhere and do it and then choose to do it together so that's really cool um and yeah, it came right here at a, at a Winston, you know it's it's interesting because there's a lot of truth to that it is you know i i worked for uh, roger corman um before i it, you know even graduated from film school 
So when I graduated, I had a job waiting for me the day after uh, I graduated from the School of the Arts and I just drove across country. You know, and, and, and that group stayed back and, and David got his film going in, in George Washington. So I became the LA side of, of it, handling, you know, all the lab work and, 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 and post-production out in, in LA and finishing the film. Uh, and so I was really the only one that was kind of in LA, uh, you know, Tim Moore came out for color timing and stuff. And Tim was my roommate for three years in college. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there, there was a lot of fun and satisfaction working with your friends. I, I had paying working jobs. Nobody got paid on George Washington. Um, and I was out in LA doing that kind of as, as side work because I was working on films that I was being paid on. So you know, my, my path diverged from them, but I kept working, um, you know, wanting to work with them and, and wanting to work with Dave uh, Green. And, and um, uh, I think the, the first film of his that I couldn't work on was Pineapple Express, uh, was the first you film. Yeah, so he, he's like, yeah, well, yeah, so he, he's like, can I get you for two days? And I was like, uh, you know, I'm going to watch it. And, and Dave still invites me to watch his, his editor's cuts and director's cuts and, and, of his movies, uh, and most of most of the films still post in, in LA. Um, uh, so I always, you know, still stay in touch and, and in contact with them, even when I, I can't work on on their films. And you know, for vacation last year, I, I you know went down to Charleston for a week and just hung out with them while they were shooting uh, Righteous Gemstones. And, yeah, and, and people are like, you, you went on vacation and you went to a film set. You're on film sets all the time. It's like, yeah, but you know, I haven't watched my friends and, and, and seen my friends work in a long time and, and to, to get to hang out with David and, and, and Jody and Danny and, and uh, you know, Jeff Bradley and, and um, you know, Chad Hanley and just a you know, bunch of the, you know, they, they've really kept that, the, the you know, a, a large portion of the School of the Arts together, um, you know, whereas I, I broke away, I broke away and have just missed it, uh, um, you know, missed them and missed working for them, so. Um, the cool group of guys, and um, you know. Uh, anyway, I want to uh, kind of talk to you as we mentioned earlier about your some of your favorite films um, and why you love them. Because you know you have uh, you see films from an editor lens, which is different from a lot of people. And a lot of people um, who watch movies don't watch movies like people who make films. And uh, so your reasons will be a little different, but I, I'm, I'm interested to hear anyway. I think I can guess a couple, but uh, I'm not going to. <laughs> so I want to, you know, just just a few of your favorites and why. Um, okay. Well, first of all, be glad that you don't watch it the way people who make the films watch watch movies. The first time I watch a movie, I try to forget everything. I don't try to look at the editing. I don't yeah, try to look at the cinematography, the lighting. I, I, you know, I try not to take any of that into consideration and just enjoy the movie. Um, you know, I, there, there are a lot of uh, great movies. I mean, Star Wars is absolutely the reason why I got into the film industry. Um, that grabbed me uh, real, when I was five years old, that came out. Um, I saw it a lot when it came out. Um, and uh, um, that's the reason, you know, that's, I, I, but I thought I was gonna go into special effects because that's what blew me away about it. Um, and, and eventually, yeah, <laughs> Um, I'm so, so Star, Star Wars is the perfect hero journey 
Um, and uh, uh, if you really kind of break down the story structure and you look at the hero's journey, um, that's step by step, that is Star Wars. Um, and that's, it, it wasn't until I started, like I always knew I love Star Wars. It wasn't until I was like, why do I love Star Wars? And I start breaking it down and, and, and I see that, you know, that learn about the hero's journey and, and, and take that right. into consideration. That, so a lot of the movies I see have that in it. Um, I do think Citizen Kane, and I know it's stereotypical, is the best film ever made. Uh, and Casablanca is right up there also. Um, well, what do you mean? Uh, but they're not movies that uh, Citizen Kane. Um, it, it's it's just a yeah, it's just a masterpiece, and that's that's one to to if you if you know the historical context of of it also in what he brought from radio into movies and using sound to tell help tell the story. Um, it's really the first flashback narrative uh, structure story. Um, maybe not the first, but the, 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 you know, recognize that as a masterpiece in, in that type of story structure. The cinematography is just fantastic and amazing in it. Um, you'll learn a lot just from watching that movie with the, with the sound turned off. Um, but it's also not, you know, that's not, that's not a movie that if it's on television, I'm not just going to stop and, 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 and watch it. Um, you know, movies that I can't turn off uh, are, you know, Rocky is, you know, Everyone's like, oh yeah, it's one of the best sports movies. It's not a sports movie, it's a love story. Boxing is the backdrop of it. Um, and that, you know, just the, the, the arc for Rocky Balboa in, you know, he doesn't want to win the match, he just wants to go the distance because nobody's done that with Apollo Creed. Um, and he sets that goal. And, and, you know, for that character to travel uh, 30 years of storytelling and still be a character is it, just, you know, an engaging character is just an, an, an amazing feat in, in storytelling. And, and everybody, you know, thinks about, you know, the Marvel movies or the Star Wars movies as far as, you know, the franchises with the long story arcs. But think about Rocky. Rocky, you know, they've had very mis few missteps in, 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 in Rocky. Um, I also very much, I love the, the father-son storylines, you know, Searching for Bobby Fischer is, is I, I, you know, a film that, that I love. Um, and it's very much about the, you know, a father story, uh, father-son storyline and it. Chess is just the backdrop. Uh, Strictly Ballroom made by, you know, Basil Ehrman's first film, I think is a, is, is a great movie. Um, where ballroom dancing is just the backdrop. Um, you know, uh, uh, Rudy, you know, love Rudy. If it's on, I can't turn that off. Another father-son story, Breaking Away, another father-son story. Um, and then, you know, movies that, that are just epics and, and should be grand on the screen um, and, and should be seen in the movie theater and up on, on, on large screen. Um, you know, uh, Amadeus, I think, is a, is a brilliant movie. Um, oddly enough, Tom Holtz is a uh, North Carolina School of the Arts graduate um, who, played, who played Amadeus. Um, but they, you know, they don't make Amadeus anymore. Um, it's, you know, it, that, that type of movie. And, and I miss that. I think that's a great, you know, a great movie. Uh, Lawrence of Arabia is a great movie. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, and then I, I like, I appreciate some movies just because of their story structure. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan's Memento is, is a, is a, a brilliant movie. And the fact that it's told from a character who can't remember, doesn't have long-term memory, has, you know, has to write everything down and leave himself clues because he forgets things uh, real, uh, real quickly. 
but they told that story backwards. And by telling it backwards, they put you, they put the audience in his same point of view because you don't know anything that happened before it. But if you took that movie and you put it back in chronological order, that would be one of the most boring movies ever told. You'd be like, okay, who cares? Yeah, way to war and going what? But yeah, that's the thing that, that doing it backwards was was the key to that. Yeah, absolutely. So so and it it, it but it, it's it's done for the purpose of putting the audience into the point of view of that character. Um, and you know, I, I think good movies do that, so that you, you start relating to the characters and and, and feeling for the characters. Um, so, you know, I, I love every movie. There, there's uh, good movies, bad movies, movies of every kind, big budget, small budget. <laughs> you know, Peanut Butter Falcon that came out uh, last, it was probably my favorite oh movie. Oh my God, that. did you see what I wrote about that? I was raved about that, man. I thought that was fantastic. God, I love that one. Uh, yeah. That was a recent one. Because, you know, these days I watch it, I still watch a lot of movies, and I'm unimpressed a lot. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, a gem like that comes through, and I'm like, man, that was good, you know. Um, I personally think that your performance in Hot Chama was outstanding, and uh, you deserved a major award for that. <laughs> but also, I, I loved your cameo in, in, in Fight Out Express, and I've been a fan of all the things that you've done, David, so far. And I really, um, I Thank look forward, hopefully, to see that's a feature. Uh, I would love to see it happen, and maybe even one that you've written. Um, I would love to see, you know, you work uh, with with Matt or with, uh, you know, with uh, David and those boys at some point. Uh, in the future, because you know, the, it's, it's, so many things I'm looking at and and and, and watching these days is into neuroscience and the, you know the, the way that thoughts create your life and and then how the 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 technologies are advancing like the our length of life. So even though we're our our age and we consider ourselves like old, man, we could live another forty years, right? And so if that's the case. We have so much work that could happen, you know. And uh, yeah. with the experience that you have, it you know the the, the uh, the sky's the limit. But as Michael Jordan says, the sky's the, the ceiling is the roof. <laughs> yeah. Well, and in, in it's it's um, it's funny. My nephew uh, wants wants to be a, a filmmaker, and to an extent, he is. He's been making short movies on his iPads for a, a, a very long time. Um, you know, my older brother asked me to put a list together of, of movies that he should should watch that I think are great movies, and I stopped at 251 when I realized there's just there, there's too there's too much out there too much content out there so i sent him that list and i'm like yeah i know it's overwhelming and daunting it's a big list but those are our, those are all movies that i think are, are worthy of seeing but there's thousands and and i think you know you learn from good movies bad movies every movies i mean some of the worst movies i've ever worked on are still some of my favorite projects that i've ever worked on and and, and also you know contact the people who, who you want to work with. You know, I wrote 66 letters when I was in school to, to the filmmakers that I wanted to work with. And I got two responses. And one of them was from Julie, uh, Julie Corman. And that's what got me out to LA before I even went to film school. Um, you know, Roger Corman's wife, who, who's a, a, a great filmmaker in, uh, herself, um, you know, uh, produ uh, producer. So I went out and I became her assistant. And then uh, for to fill in for her um, assistant who was on maternity leave, and then she gave me an impossible task. I was able to complete it. She asked me what I wanted to do, uh, you know, and I was like, "Well, I want to direct." She said, "No, no. What do you want to do here? What do you want to do now?" And I was like, "Well, I want to move into post production. Uh, I want to edit." So she moved me into a second assistant position on Bucket of Blood, 
Um, Bucket of Blood was directed by uh, uh, Mike McDonald and starred Anthony Michael Hall and Justine Bateman. David Green just uh, made Halloween uh, and uh, Halloween 2, which will come out, uh, which is already done, uh, but will come out not this Halloween, but the next Halloween because of the pandemic. You know, I went to a, a screening, uh, an early screening of that, and uh, it's, you know, it starred two of the actors in it was Anthony Michael Hall and Mike McDonald, who directed Bucket of Blood. So, I, you know, and I joked with Dave, and he's like, I totally forgot about that. So, you know, got to reconnect with them. So, you know, everything in, in the film industry is very, you know, secular. Yeah. Well, and just so you know, you know, because I always have faith that, uh, you know, Something's going to come across your table. Um, now that uh, I've kind of scaled back some things, I'm not aggressively going after hundreds of things uh, entrepreneurially due to the COVID and other things. I'm available for castings, and so when you uh, when you have that right moment, you know, give me a call. I don't even have an agent these days. Uh, you can call me directly on the cell, David, and I'll come out and uh, you know, like uh, put my little piece in your 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 master. I um, you know it it. Uh... I've seen you act, and, and that that would be a worthy uh, a worthy casting. So, well, you know, I'm really I'm really proud of you, David, and not just as someone that has gone out and been one of those people that did what they wanted to do and are are living their dream. And sometimes we we lose sight that that's what we're doing, you know, and and that's what we've been able to do. So it helps us to look back and go, you know, I got to do all these things, and and that is a culmination of who I am today. And I think that you should be extremely proud of what you've done and the work that you continue to do. Uh, of being a great dad and of being a great husband. And I, I think you're an, an awesome friend to have as well, man. And I just want to thank you. I know you're crazy busy and stuff, but you're taking time out of your day to chat with me about movies and uh, uh, the, the expertise that you have in them and the, the lens that you see them through is, is really cool. And I think a lot of people are going to get some great gold nuggets out of this. And, uh, and I really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, watch movies, go to the drive-in, uh, and uh, yeah, you know, enjoy it. And, you know, I, you you remind me. I, we've had this conversation before, but you remind me of me. And that you know, our 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 story paths are are, are similar. Um, and yeah, I, you know, shorter. what's that? <laughs> well, I thought I'm a lot shorter, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of no, yeah, so it's, you, know, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm tall for the industry. Uh, you know, average height is probably here in the industry. That's right. That's why I keep telling my daughter, I'm like, I'm out of sight, man, especially in the movie industry. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's always, I always enjoyable. Or, I can fly planes or, or uh, uh, drive submarines, so. That's yeah. right, you know, and that's one thing I'm going to bring up in the other heightest conversations I have with somebody really tall friends. Like, you know what you can't do? <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Thank you for that. Uh, man, it's, it's, it's uh, what a treat, dude. Thank you so much for being on the show. And yeah. uh, give me a call anytime, dude. Let's catch up. And I hope to be out in L.A., um, after a lot of this stuff calms down, I'm going to come down and, and probably take the family out. It's been a couple of weeks, so I hope to get together with you, maybe see a movie in the backyard and, uh, and hang out with some old friends, you know? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I hope to be back uh, at my morning coffee routine at Common Grounds at, at, at some point also. Um, yeah, you, know, and, you come and you're going to call me. And I hope that the, the, you know, film industry in North Carolina picks back up. And I know it's picking back up a, li a little bit, but... Uh, you know the 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 plan was to to do in North Carolina what George Lucas did in Northern California. You know I wanted to make the North Carolina movie farm. Uh, you know and Dave Green and, and Jody and Danny are basically they're doing that in, in South Carolina. Uh, but we all wanted to do it in North Carolina. But you know it, it's just uh, you know it's getting better. But it, it 
they drove a lot of people away. So hopefully that gets better. Well, as you said, man, you know, focusing on the fact that good stories are good stories, and there's a lot in your in your mind, man. So I hope they come out, and I hope the world gets to see them. Uh, I will definitely do anything you do, man. Uh, and please uh, tell Lucas and uh, and the beautiful wife I said hello. And I give my best to the family. And, uh, will I will do. call you uh, sometime next week and let you know what uh, when we're going to queue you up and send this out, man, so you can send it to all your famous friends. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love you, man. I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Yeah. Talk to you later.